Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. Welcome to the Tales of the Justice Society of America. My name is Scott Gardner. I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Michael Bailey, who royally screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> this happens every once in a while in podcasting. This ha- It's happened to Jeffrey and I once, where we just did not communicate, or in this case, I just freaking didn't realize what was going on uh which frankly if i'm surprised hasn't happened more often in the past week or so with how fried i am (laughs) with work i I was i was talking I, i posted on facebook yesterday that i haven't so much hit the wall but I've slammed into it, and there's an impression of me forming on the other side. <laughs> so, um, hey, can, I was. Can you check the axle grease under <laughs> that bus, by the way? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, because I don't consider this throwing me under the bus. I screwed up. <laughs> throwing throwing somebody under the bus is is like the little bit I did in one of our early episodes where you messed up about something and I had the the Joker music from Batman the animated series <laughs> playing in the background. That's 
throwing somebody under the bus. Or, as my co-host on FCTC did when we were interviewing Dan Jurgens by telling him that I'm the one that liked something that was contrary to what was going on. So, <laughs> But uh, I forgot that I was doing the synopsis for this one, which is, I, like, like I was telling Scott, it's a damn shame because I worked really hard <laughs> on the one for 23, but I'm not going to... I am not going to take that away from Scott because I know he worked just as hard on on his version. Um, do we do we want to send a thank you out to a certain listener yet? Uh, you know, I, I considered that when we get to the... Because I don't know, do we have permission? He sent that email to the general email, so I don't know. Do we have permission to read that email, or should we wait on that until the, the, the books are out? How do we want to deal with that? I, I was just thinking, do we want to just thank him for what he did and not really go into what he did in case, you know... No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I I think it uh, I think it's very awesome. I think it definitely deserves a shout out. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we uh, we got an email from our uh, one of the listeners, Devin Clancy, and he made us an offer we could not refuse. He he offered us free comics, and and I and, and I and I know Scott feels the same way. I'll always take free comics. <laughs> You can give me a boatload of, like, Archie Digests. And I'll be like, man, they're free. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Devin has a store, which I will put the link to in the uh, in the show notes. for the, Or somebody will put the link to since people <laughs> keep hacking our... Superman freaking hacked our account. And if you can't tra- trust Superman, who can you trust? <laughs> Hubba, 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 money, 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 who do you trust? (laughs) It was there. But uh, he actually has a store through Comic Collector Live, which is the first time I've ever actually seen one of those. (laughs) I was kind of fascinated by it. Uh, But Devin gave us credit. We're not going to go into how much, uh, because we don't like to brag much. But Devin gave us some credit from his store, and we both scored some really nice books. Yes. Uh, I went over, I went quality over quantity, and Scott just cleaned up. Yeah, absolutely. With uh, Not saying that the books Scott got aren't quality, it's just, uh, but I want to send a big thank you, and I know Scott does too, to Devin for doing that. Uh, I, I consider him a, a, a sponsor of this episode because of that. Um, and, and we really Absolutely. do appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. thank you so much, Devin. Uh, but yeah, seriously, guys, check out Devin's store because he's got a lot of great stuff. And sometimes the prices, most of the time, actually, the prices are really yeah, freaking his, good. Yeah, yeah, his prices are awesome. And he's got, I mean, just a ton of stuff because I literally went through the entire site that night. You know, when I was making out my wish list, I was like, well, let me just start with A and go right on through to Z. And it took hours and hours, but I did actually look at everything that was there. And I was like, wow, this is a very impressive collection. I mean, it was it's nice stuff. 
the prices are really good and there are some sweet books and some sweet deals in there so yeah definitely check out his site and uh as michael says thank you Devin, so much that was totally awesome of you because when i read that email because you know mike you know you had sent me that text you were like have you read the tales email today and i was like uh-oh you know it's like is it another letter from from luke jack and eddie calling me a son of a bitch or something and <laughs> just kidding just kidding <laughs> but you know i was like you know what's what's wrong you know, i thought it was like you know because every i always assume the worst i guess so it's just a horrible well, personality trait but i that, do i always assume that you know something horrible you know somebody really you know like maybe i said some stupid comment that you know now somebody's off on a tirade and you know scott's a racist asshole or something you know so i'm thinking it's like that so when i finally read it and i read that email from Devin and, and his offer i was like holy shit that's awesome you know so yes, yeah. thank you very well, much. You you totally made my my week, my month. It it was awesome. So yes, thank you. To be fair, every other time I've told you to check out the email, it's been <laughs> something. In one case, that caused like weeks of us talking about the subject to the yes. point where it was almost taking over the show. Yep, that's so, true. <laughs> so. I don't blame you on that. And usually when, when, when I get that, it's like, check the email. It's just like, oh, God, what did I do now? Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. Ooh, how, ooh. Did I, how did I put my foot in my mouth this episode, you know? Because, you know, you and I have a, have a pretty similar um, sense of humor. So uh, I think you like fart jokes more than I do. But um, <laughs> Fart jokes. <laughs> I know you do. But I, I, I think you and I can joke about stuff that normally people wouldn't joke about, and we'll be like ah, and then so, and then somebody writes in who was kind of offended by it. It's like oh really? That was that was just an offhanded comment. Damn. You wow. don't like infantile humor? You're listening to the wrong damn show, buddy. <laughs> this is this is the show where I. Between this and, and comic, it, it's the two true freaks shows that I participate in, that uh, that are really the the base. That little lowbrow humor is that what you're saying, sir? Yes, you're, yes. you're absolutely right. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> don't even try to deny that, because I'll get Chris Honeywell on the phone and he'll laugh at you. <laughs> yes, you you can take the high road with everything else, but here, sir, you're going to get the poopy sounds. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now I'm going to have to find them. <laughs> Oh, I have a whole catalog. I, I know you do. Would you like dry fart or juicy fart, sir? Would you like fries with that? <laughs> wow, that's those are those are three questions I never thought would come one right after the other in my entire life. Thank you very much, Scott. Oh man! So yes, this episode is uh, is brought to you by, in addition to the letters F and U. <laughs> Uh, by Devin Clancy. So, I guess we should dive right into the issue. Yes. Unless you have any other pressing business to uh, to any, attend to. Any preamble stuff? Um, um, yes. Yes. Actually, I'm okay. glad that you say that. Yes. Um, once again, folks, I need to I need to put out the call and uh, and I know my, you, you we were just talking about this off the air and I know that you're going to be uh, looking for this as well. But I thought. While I've got the forum, I, I, will, I will put out a, a quick call. It has come to my attention, and I was pointing this out to Mike. I, here's my theory on how this happened, but it's just it's a, it's a half-baked theory, but I think it's a pretty good one. 
Um, we're coming up pretty soon on getting more and more and more into the thick of Crisis on Infinite Earths. What's going to start happening, not right away, but over the next few months, there will start to be um, pre-crisis monitor appearances. And they're going to start happening more and more frequently, and eventually it'll start happening to where there'll be a bunch of them in one particular month. And we're gonna we're still working out the details. We're gonna figure out a way to cover all this stuff, you know, the crisis yeah. stuff. Uh, and we were discussing what we're gonna do with Infinity Inc. Things like that. So we we have plans. They're not finalized yet, so I don't want to go into that too much. But anyway, while making lists and and doing homework uh, about crisis, um, it came to my attention, and, and I'd suspected this for a long time because I actually own every crisis book. I own every monitor, you know, pre-crisis monitor appearance, every crossover, every you know unofficial crossover. If it's related to Crisis on Infinite Earths, I own it, right? And I was telling my, uh, Mike about this quite a while ago that I suspected that there was an error somewhere on one of the lists because every list you find anywhere lists uh, GI Combat number 276 as not only a pre-crisis monitor appearance, but as the first appearance of the monitor. And I own this book, and it was a bitch to track down, but I finally got it, and I own it, and I've read it, and I could never find the monitor in it. And I was like, if he's in there, he's cleverly disguised or something, because I just don't get it. You know, <laughs> I could not figure out where in the hell, what story in this book, because it's, it's a anthology you know what story is it even in and it's really been driving me nuts for years so anyway the other day i don't know what put me on this but i got to thinking about it and i was like what if it's wrong what if all these resources and believe me everywhere you go on the internet gives you the same fucking list of pre-crisis monitor appearances so i was like what if the list is just wrong what if somebody Got the list out of say like uh, you know the the you know the official Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover index, which is wrong, and it's just been repeated and compounded all across the internet to where nobody ever bothered to check. So I did some homework, and sure enough, you know what it turns out? I'm right. He is not in GI Combat number two seventy six. He's in GI Combat number two seventy four. That is the first appearance of the Monitor pre-crisis. <sighs> Unfortunately, I don't own this book, and it's a bitch to track down. Those war titles are hard to find. And when you so, say first appearance, you're mean, you mean the first time we actually see him. See him, yeah, because he had, you know, there's a lot of pre-crisis, what, what are called pre-crisis uh, pre Monitor appearances, but what they basically, nine times out of ten what they were, was it was the the monitor in shadow so he was never revealed as that what he actually looked like so you'd see like a silhouette like a darkened silhouette or sometimes you might even see like the back of his head yeah edge of a shoulder or something but there was never like a full reveal except in gi combat number 274 it was the first time that we actually see his face and his features pre Crisis on Infinite Earths number one, where at the very end of that issue, it was that great final page by George Perez where he's standing on the thing saying, you know, gentlemen, your worlds are doomed or whatever the hell he says. And everybody assumes that that was the first reveal of the monitor, but it's actually not. It was that he actually was shown one time prior to that, and that was this issue of GI Combat. And, so, and the reason it didn't cause much of a stink is 
no one really was reading right nobody (laughs) yeah exactly and that's why those issues are really hard to find because the print run for gi combat was pitifully low so what i want to do is similar to last time when we were talking about the absolute crisis is just i just want to put the call out there that if anybody um has access to this book you know on the cheap or what you know, if you could just put me on the trail of this book, I would really appreciate it because it's the one book that, you know, having just discovered this, it's the one book I lack for a complete collection of everything crisis related. So I'd really like to track it down. But I'm just not willing to pay eBay, eBay prices for this book because the cheapest I found it on eBay, I think shipping combined and everything, I'm thinking it was somewhere in the neighborhood of nine bucks. I'm not paying nine bucks for a fucking Joe Kubert war comic. I'm sorry. It's just, it's not worth that much to me. You know what I mean? You know? Damn, I mean, because honestly, you know, I, I'll probably read the monitor part of the thing and that'll be it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, I want it to be a completist, but, you know, I don't need it that bad for nine bucks. So, I mean, it's got to be like, I don't know, like three bucks and under, you know, something I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll waste three bucks on it. But that's, you know, what I'd really love is like if it was like a 50 cent find, you know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. you know, beggars can't be choosers. But again, you know, as you guys are, you know, going to your conventions and digging through your, you know, your LCS or your 50 cent box or whatever, if you happen to stumble across this, you know, I, I will gladly pay you back, you know, if, if somebody can just put me on the trail of it or. You know, give me a you know, give me a comic shop and a, and a phone number or something, you know, and I'll figure something out. But I would really appreciate it. Give me a bottle of whiskey and a hooker. And <laughs> I would really appreciate it. <laughs> you know, it'd be really funny if if we're the ones that break the story of the. Uh, somebody really needs to. Uh, we, we need to email the guy from Comic Legends Revealed over at Comic Book Resources, which is this great uh, weekly column every Friday where he takes comic book urban legends and either says why they're true or debunks them. We should, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we should do that. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to get on that. Uh, and, of course, mentioning the show. Exactly, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, these two guys you never heard of from this show you never heard of, they found this out. So, yeah, if anything that'll draw some attention to the show, that'd be awesome. Well, I'm sure people have heard of it. Oh, I'm ke- I'm teasing, but you know what I mean. But, yeah, I mean, any 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 plugs, any free, free publicity, I'm all about that, you know. Me, too. I like free. <laughs> if it's free, it's for me. That's why I got married. <laughs> what? Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. It was a <laughs> sex joke. Um, <laughs> that was incredibly inappropriate. So it we're gonna. Was. I'm. 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 Un- I'm uncomfortable over here. <laughs> Let's talk about comics. <laughs> we are going to dive right in to All Star Squadron number twenty-two, the June nineteen eighty-three issue. The Power Stone corrupts absolutely. Roy Thomas, writer-editor, Jerry Ordway, illustrator, Mike Macklin, inker, Carl Gafford, colorist, David Cody Weiss, letterer. Why did you have to, like, make your name hard? Commander Cody. Hey, he's the one that tried tried to kill uh, Ben Kenobi. The bastard. (laughs) <laughs> I wonder if he's related at all to uh, to Alan Weiss. The the Weiss is spelled the same. I'm just it's I'm possible. Always, yeah, I'm always wondering. You know, when I see similar names in comics, I always wonder if they're related somehow. Uh, 
our quote from this issue is, He who is too powerful seeks power beyond his power. And I'm going to guess that's pronounced Seneca. Seneca. Yeah, like Seneca so, Falls type of thing? I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm going to use the synopsis from the Badass All-Star Companion Volume 2, mm. because as we previously said, I fucked up. <laughs> but the synopsis is, Ultra Humanite, Deathbolt, and Cyclotron defeat Superman, Firebrand, and Robot Man. Cyclotron reveals to Firebrand that he is actually Dr. Terry Curtis, her former lover. Ultra, now in possession of the Power Stone and the Hammer of Thor needs only Dr. Fate's original helmet to make his slash her power complete. And the historical notes on this is, flashbacks deal with the backstories of the Ultra Humanite and Terry Curtis, based on sequences in Action Comics number 13, 14, 17, and 19 to 21 in 1939-40. And I actually forgot that these were cited in this book, so I'm going to thank John Wilson of Golden Age Superman, a fantastic podcast, for sending me those issue numbers because I knew about where they were, but I, you know, the Golden Age is kind of a blind spot for me in Superman. Yeah. So yeah, you and me both. So uh, you know, I, I still consider myself, you know, pretty up on the character. I'm, I'm working on my masters. I just haven't gotten there yet. So, but um, so thank you, John, for texting me those uh those issue numbers and with hawkman's loss of the hammer of thor in all-star comics number three which we covered on this very show way back when we were covering all-star comics number three remember we did all the stories in it uh an episode at a time uh, this was the one where we kept making the kalima yeah I remember that story, but I don't remember <laughs> Thor's hammer being a part of it. Was it a part of that story? Uh, I, I guess it was. <laughs> I, I just got, I just got stuck on the fact that Molara was the uh, was the bad guy in it. All of these stories are on view in DC Archives editions, though of course none were in 1983, and those Action Comics issues are in the uh, Chronicles, I think, Volume yeah. One and Two. So I'm really waiting for them to do an All-Star Chronicles. I'd buy the crap out of that. I might get that. Yeah, I'd have to be honest. I, I might actually get that. Despite my, my prejudice against uh, Golden Age material, I might actually have to get that. A movie marquee heralds a yank on the Burma Road, a film starring Barry Nelson and Lorraine Day, which was released in New York on January 28th, 1942. With number 22, David Cody Weiss, who later often signs his name Cody, becomes the magazine's regular, regular letterer. Previous to this, John Costanza had lettered the majority of the issues. Mm -hmm. And this is where we talked about last time. There's a note uh, with number 21, new editor Roy, Roy Thomas altered the letters column title to All-Star Squad Room. And we have a nice picture of uh, Ultra in a woman's commandeered body wielding the power stone, stone courtesy of Ordway, Mocklin, and Thomas. So what do you got on this one, Scott? Oh, my goodness. Um, I got a lot of stuff on this one, actually. Yes, yeah, so do I, actually. Um, awesome 
if a somewhat busy and a bit awkward cover, I really like it. It's it's just a little it's a little awkward. The the perspective's a little bit funny. And I love this picture of the ultra humanite holding the hammer of Thor because more and more we'll see as the story progresses that it looks less and less like a hammer and more and more like uh oh what is that instrument with the beads inside the you know, the maraca maraca yeah doesn't it <laughs> yes it does i'm actually. gonna use my magic maraca on you superman you're under my power i love it and we nearly got some side boob on this thing so. oh yeah so uh, <laughs> and as we will be talking about both in this episode and the next death bolt has some issues regarding yeah who he wants to have sex with. So. Yeah, he's not particular, really. <laughs> I have a theory that I will share in the next episode. Oh, okay. Unless it really comes up in this one. Okay. I, I, have, a, I have a theory in regards to Death Bolt. <laughs> All right, you gotta, you gotta promise not to, not to beat me up too much for it, but I have to be honest, I'm not crazy about the art in this issue. However... I'm not so sure that it's really so much a problem with the art is I don't know about your issue. Maybe you can verify this for me, whether this is just a printing error in mine or if it's persists across all copies, but there's something weird going on with the color in this one. There's a lot. I was about to say the same thing. Yeah. I I'm wondering if somehow like maybe a press they were using for one of their other qualities of paper was being, you know, like they had the wrong book on the wrong press or the wrong kind of ink. Cause like a, a great example, turn to page 18 is a great example across from the ad that has a really cool picture of uh, Travis Morgan. There's this page of the reveal of who cyclotron is. And this page, not only are the colors this weird day glow kind of kind of color, but then it has a faded, weird look like somebody picked yeah. up the entire page with uh, with silly putty. It just looks bizarre. No, I, I I will completely agree with you on that. Throughout, the, and you're right. It's throughout the entire issue. It's, it looks like exactly how you described it. Like somebody picked up the impression off of it. And left just kind of a faded version behind. Yeah. So it makes me wonder what this would look like completely recolored. Yeah, I'd like to see that. With digital I... recoloring and all that. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm thinking that might actually save it. Because my, my initial note was that there's a problem with the art. But the more I look through the book, I, I really don't think it's so much the art as it is the there's something screwed up with the coloring and possibly even the the printing process itself, because you know, the 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 other good analogy here is that there's a lot of pages like like that page I just cited, page eighteen. You know what it really reminds me of? It reminds me a lot of of Charlton Comics toward the end of Charlton Comics's life. They mm-hmm. frequently had this kind of problem where the colors were just awkward looking and the page looked washed out because they were using they were literally using printing presses made for cereal boxes to print their comics on so they all that's why old charlton comics have a really distinct and kind of funky look to them and that's how this looks to me like like something got messed up in the printing process but they just ran with it anyway i don't know it's odd but regardless of all that i i will say this is an actual art critique i really don't like this opening splash page i i can't really put my finger on exactly why it just looks funny it looks awkward to me I think it's a little bit overshaded with uh with the ultra humanite. Uh-huh. And then none of the heroes 
look quite. I don't know. It's 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 just weird. But then of course it's made up for in the next page is a great one. We got a you know a full on shot of Superman, you know, with his fist balled up, ready to punch a woman. I love that. You know, he's ready to punch the ultra humanite. So I really like that. Death Ball still looks really good in this one. Yes. Uh, let's see what we got here. Page five. Page five, panel five. I love this this look right here of uh, of Liberty Bell. I don't know why it's just it's really sexy. She's being attacked by some of those green uglies from the subterranean world, and they're like holding her back. And she's just got this look on her face as she's calling uh, Ultra Humanite a monster. And I don't know what it is specifically about that panel that I like so much, but she just looks really good in that panel. It's it's very uh, well. The most obvious thing about it is that her her boobs are kind of stretching against the right. shirt. Yeah, well, um, that's it. She looks like she's about to bust out. Maybe that's it. So, uh, but you know, no, I I will agree with that particular image because the look on her face, Ordway is very good with expressions. Yeah, um, and it's really sad that more often than not, you can't say that about comic book artists. Yeah, it's like, it's like the vast majority of them are serviceable, but it's the rare one that can actually make the characters look different on every page, but still recognizable as that character. So, but that's just one of my. I'm not a big art guy. I recognize good art. I appreciate good art, but I'm. I, I think I think that's where you and I are kind of different, which is one of the good things about this show is that you pay attention to the art a hell of a lot more than I do. Mm -hmm. So you will point things out to me, which I, which I always appreciate, but with certain artists, it's like Perez. Perez is the master when it comes to making characters look like real people, uh, with emotions and all that. So I like the next panel too, because, uh, you know, Liberty Bell really was a progressive gal because she has a, a vibrating bell on her crotch. I really, I think that's, that says a lot. Are Moving you sure right that's along. the adrenal gland it's stimulating? <laughs> it's stimulating something. Um, let's see here. Her amazing clitoral powers. <laughs> Page seven, panel one. I like this shot of the ultra human eye going, Hi, Mom! <laughs> I just think that's a really cool one. <laughs> Which the bald one? Yeah. Yes, that's exactly. I was thinking something similar. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just got laid. <laughs> Page eight, panel. Uh, is it panel one? I guess it could be considered all one panel right there. Superman fighting robots. Come on, it doesn't get better than that. It's what Nothing Superman ever. was made to do: fight Nothing. robots. There, there is never anything wrong with that. And they look a lot like the the last wave of the Micronauts were those weird, stretchy guys, and that's what these dudes look like. He, it looks like he's fighting a bunch of Micronauts. So that's but come cool. on, you'd want to see Superman fighting Microtron. Yeah. Fighting a Croyer. I'd love to see Superman versus a Croyer. It would be awesome. I would be totally down for that. Everything's there's like panel one here. I don't know why. It's always the first panels. But like uh, page 11, panel one of Johnny Quick working up enough speed and running over the top of the car that he actually takes flight. That's pretty cool. Yes. Although I never really cared for the way they depict Johnny when he's flying because it's like 
you get like from his waist up and then below his waist is just speed lines. That always kind of irritated me a little bit, but I do really like this panel though, how it, you know, he, he literally runs so fast that he just takes to the air. That's pretty cool. I like that. That's a good, uh, a good shot. Plus I actually, I didn't have a note on this, but I like the bottom, you know, the panel right beneath that too, where he tries to, uh, run across the water and he ends up like skipping across it like a stone. Cool too. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Page 13, page 13, panel four. We got, uh, <laughs> yeah. They are all about stuff. wanting to show this woman naked, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Firebrand <laughs> sleeps in the buff, and I'm all about that. That's awesome. That's pretty much all we got there. Moving along, we got, uh, <laughs> page, <laughs> page 15, uh, oh, I screwed up my notes. I've got page 15, panel 15. That can't be right. It's page 15, panel 4. It's uh, Johnny Quick falling out the window. This really, really, really reminds me of the cover to Adventures of Superman 472, where Superman was powerless, and it shows him oh, trying yes. to climb a building, and the rope had snapped, and he's falling towards the street. It's similar without being exactly the same, but it's just really... I always like this. I always like seeing heroes falling for some reason. I don't know why that is, but that's it's just a really nice perspective shot of Johnny about to go splat. And uh, page 16, again with the wonky colors, you know, the, the washed out look and everything. And honestly, that was about I all I had on this. This was, again, this was one of those ones that was long and very wordy. But in the long run, it's not really so much happened in this. It was just it was a big old fight. And I like yep. this one because everybody got involved. You know, you had, you know, some JSAers, you had some all-stars, you had Superman, and then on the bad guy's side, you had, you know, Ultra, Death Ball, and, uh, and Cyclotron. And there's just a lot of action in this one. Plus, we got just a little bit of time back at the, uh, at the Perisphere and Trilon with, uh, you know, Steel and Robot Man are trying to fix up Electro. They're going to turn him into a, a robot butler, which I get a kick out of. And because Johnny's all still pissed off and nursing a grudge about, you know, Liberty Bell running off with Superman and he couldn't go along or whatever, he picks a fight with Tarantula. And I just, I like this whole sequence. It's a little mm-hmm. goofy. It's a little bit Marvel Comics, but it's still pretty neat, because I, I, I do like Tarantula. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this is the last time we see Tarantula in yep. this present state. Yes, we uh, we get a preview of the costume next issue. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in the letters page, and then in, in 24... Uh, which I have a personal anecdote to uh, to talk about when we get there. Uh, in twenty four, he uh, he he adopts it for the, and I love that costume. But more on that later. I don't want to get sidetracked into talking about it in this one. I don't remember exactly what prompted me to make this, but I I, had, I jotted down a question that I wanted to ask you. Um, it's not even really issue specific, so I'll wait until um, you give your your thoughts on this, and then as we wrap up, uh, I, I just had a question that I, for some reason, I guess this must have got me thinking about it. So I'll ask it when we're done. Well, for me, page one, I love the shot of the S symbol on Superman's chest. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool, and I will agree with you about the about Ultra, mainly because as much as I love Jerry Ordway's art. There are times when he draws women and it just looks off in general. Yeah. 
And this is one of those times. And it's usually when they have this kind of smile on their face. So, um, not saying that again, you know, I, I think I've gushed over Ordway's artwork enough <laughs> in this, uh, on the show to, uh, to warrant that, you know, I'm not making fun of him. But, uh, on the contrary, on page two and three, on page three, the the panel of Ultra holding up the Power Stone. Yeah, she looks gorgeous. Yeah, I mean it's it's just a complete one eighty from the other one. On page two, I'm a little annoyed because there's a coloring error on Superman's S symbol. There's a yellow streak through. A yeah, that's in mine too. Yeah. Um, Superman's floor is floor is checkered for some reason, like a big checker or a chessboard. So I always get the feeling that they're playing chess when they fight on it. I always had a, uh, the feeling it was like a linoleum floor, like you'd find in like in a fifties diner or something like that. But I like that. <laughs> for, Believe it or not, I like that kind of thing. So it's kind of cool. My grandmother's floor used to look like that. <laughs> uh, page four, Ultra puts the Power Stone. In herself, basically, and it and it it shrinks. Wow, 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 I missed that one. Wait, when did that? When did this happen? She the power becomes internal. I guess is the best way to say it because she gets the little jewel on her head, which apparently in the process the jewel shrunk because otherwise it would probably be taking up most of her forehead. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. you know I didn't even catch it. You are absolutely right. Um. I agree with you about page five. I like Liberty Bell on the bottom. Not only because she looks good in that one panel or the the, the vibrating bell uh, belt buckle, but in the in the last panel, she just takes two of those Underworlders and cracks their skulls together. It's absolutely awesome. Um, completely lost track of what I was saying. Uh, oh, uh, page seven. I really and eight really. I like the flashbacks to the action comics issues. Yeah, but it brings up something about the ultra humanite that we discussed uh, on the episode, uh, the first episode of Golden Age Superman that I was on, where we talked about Ultra's first appearance. Is that basically he he has an organization called the Cab Protective League that is trying to run all of the other cab companies out of town. This is his master plan to take over the world. So right away, Ultra Humanite, not the brightest of supervillains. Yeah, but maybe 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 the cab thing was like a what do you call that? An acronym. You know, maybe it stood for something more awesome than than actual like no. taxi cabs. Maybe it was like no, because a ball of rid awesome of a... badasses or something, you know. Cabal of awesome bad we need to get Chris to do a really cool Photoshop <laughs> thing of the logo for the cabal of awesome badasses. Uh I you know, that's a great no prize. Unfortunately, when you see his minions attacking other cabbies. It kind of shoots a hole in that theory. <laughs> so, so this was not so much a job for Superman as a job for, like, space cabbie. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. <laughs> Though I do like the fact that Ordway adjusts his art slightly to a more Golden Age style on these two pages, yeah. especially page 8. And the S symbol changes, too, on page 8. It's more triangular than it is uh, pentagonal. So uh, I, I think that's pretty cool. Hey, there is reminds me an awful lot of like the uh, the Fleischer cartoons, a whole lot of the Fleischer cartoons. Page nine, this made me uncomfortable. 
You mean it working? Uh, you mean a working robot's not amazing enough in 1942? Besides, Commander Steele and I have got other plans for him, and he's got his hand in his chest. And Johnny looks away, and the look on his face says to me, "They're going to have sex with this thing, aren't they?" <laughs> Damn it! He says, "Oh yeah, I forgot." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. I do like the fight between Johnny and the tarantula, and Johnny. <laughs> Because they're both named Johnny. Yeah, that's mainly because mainly because in the midst of it, they're like, we don't really want to be fighting. We're just pissed, and we both like Liberty Bell. Uh, though at the bottom of page ten, fabulous. I'm caught in rush hour on Grand Central Parkway. What? <laughs> Are you serious? You, if you stand behind one of those fucking cars, I will come into that comic and I will smack you, Johnny Quick. <laughs> You know, if motorcyclists, and I'm sure this has pissed you off in the past, too, if motorcyclists buzz by you in, in traffic, you know, I, I think you as a human being could jump on the little sidewalk right to your right left. Yeah, but it does it does lead to the flying, which I kind of like. The uh, page uh, 11 and 12, once again, we get a nice little color effect with the flashbacks that are in black and white, mm-hmm. which, uh, which I think is really cool. Page 13, that second panel is awesome. Well, actually, the first panel's great because Johnny's sitting there about to sit down on a chair and read a newspaper, and he says, before I drift off, mind if I see if there's anything on? And he's about to say the radio. says, what do you say, Johnny? And it turns out that there's a mirror in that room showing into... Uh, Firebrand's bedroom, and she's in her underwear, and it's just like, wow, that's kind of it's. It just fascinated me. It's like I've never seen that in a superhero team book before. You know what? Just uh, the the thought just now occurred to me. You don't think that that's a subtle nod to Raiders of the Lost Ark, do you? It wouldn't surprise me, considering I'm sure I, I know Roy Thomas was a fan of that movie, right? And I'm sure that. Uh, that Jerry Ordway probably was as well. So that that could you. I, I did not think about it until you just mentioned it. Yeah, it, it just it literally just occurred to me that that was a because I was looking at that panel going. You know, the, when I read it earlier, I was thinking that you know there was something about that scene that seemed reminiscent, and then it just occurred to me that something very similar to that happens in Raiders. I had completely forgotten that Cyclotron was in love with Firebrand. Yeah. And that made issue the page fourteen, not issue fourteen, page fourteen, really cool when he takes her mask off and kisses her full on the mouth, and I'm like, holy crap! I completely forgot. But it really adds to Cyclotron's character, and the great thing, I, the thing I like about this, um, Cyclotron as a villain, is. He looks like a mustache-twirling villain, but he's not. He doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to do this. He's in circumstances beyond his control, which I don't even really consider him a bad guy. I just consider him as much of a victim of the ultra-humanite as anybody that the ultra-humanite actually killed. Right. So, um, page 16, not only do we get Deathbolt's origin, but there's this exchange... At the top it says, what say, lady, can I? I told you, never call me that. I'm no woman in my own mind's eye and never will be. Put that 
in the back of your mind, folks, because next issue, there's going to be some creepiness involved with that. <laughs> Deathbolt's origin. He was a crook that was electrocuted and got powers. Thanks to the ultra humanite. Don't really need anything more than that, do you? Nope. <laughs> Though on the bottom of page 17, I love when Cyclotron bursts into the room. There's the, the atom thing symbol around him. Looks really neat. That is cool. As, as Deathbolt sitting there with his fist crackling. Why do I like Deathbolt so much? I don't know, but it, it, it's both of us. I mean, because I, yeah. I like both of them. I like uh, Deathbolt and uh, and Cyclotron are both awesome. I, I think a lot of it has to do with the costumes, and like you were saying before, it's it's the Boba Fett effect. They don't do a hell of a lot, but they're they're pretty cool. The uh, the the rest of the issue is just one big fight, which mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with, and I do like the last page of. Green Lantern, Liberty Bell, Commander Steel, and Johnny Quick going, well, why the hell did they leave us? I mean, seriously, why do you leave Green Lantern? Arguably, one of the more powerful heroes of the group, and you're just going to leave him behind. That makes no sense to me. Uh, I I did have, and I think I've made this note before, but I think it bears repeating, in the All-Star Squadron letters, there's a... There's a letter by Kent A. Fennis. I'm sure he got endless shit in high school and and, 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 and middle school. Because if you take the H out of Fennis, yeah, there you go. There is a nostalgic postscript. Just thought everybody ought to know, Roy Thomas writes, that All-Star Squadron and, of course, its predecessor, the legendary JSA, have spawned a new fanzine, All-Star Fandom. Edited by Anthony Cardno, as mentioned here a few months back. See that issue for details. It's still got a few rough edges. It's still got a few rough edges, but there's a lot of enthusiasm and more than a modicum of talent in evidence. More to the point just now, ASF, like all good zines, has taken a poll of its fledgling members. The results? What three heroes would you like to see more of? The winners? Wildcat? An hour man followed by at least a vote or two for almost every other Golden Age hero. <laughs> Which supervillains would you like to see more of? The winner was Alexi Luther of Earth 2, followed by Brainwave, Ultra Humanite, Psycho Pirate, and Ultraman of Earth 3. Hmm, hmm, three of those five have appeared, one way or the other, these past few issues, since Ace Inker Jerry Ordway took over the mag as Ace Penciler as well. So maybe we're on the right wavelength. And nobody's happier than Jerry and I that the great JSA heroes are mostly out of khaki and into their color-splashed costumes again. I wonder if this guy, uh, this uh, Anthony Cardino, I wonder if he's still around. That'd be cool to know. I would yeah. love to see uh, that fanzine. Yeah. I'm going to try to get in touch with him and see what he would think of our show. <laughs> you guys suck. <laughs> I was doing that shit 20 years ago. Put up in a body bag, Johnny. <laughs> Random Karate Kid reference for the younger listeners. Well, I Ooh. think it's interesting to, uh, in order to preface how next issue is going to work out, um, just uh, to to lay out the end of the, this story ends with the the heroes, you know, soundly defeated by Ultra and her minions. And she's making off with the bodies of Robot Man, who she seems to have some sort of sinister plans for, 
Firebrand and Superman leaving behind um, in Superman's uh, Secret Citadel, leaving behind Green Lantern, Liberty Bell, Johnny Quick, and Commander Steel. That just kind of sets up uh, how my synopsis for the next issue is going to work. Well, the question I had for you, and and again, I don't know exactly what what spawned this, but it's part of my notes, so I figured I would ask it. Do you think that All-Star Squadron could ever be a movie franchise? The first one would have to wow the shit out of everybody. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that as an insult to the All-Star Squadron. It's just... You would have to have a pretty fantastic movie to get sequels. I think you could support it, because if you have your, your first villain as Perdegaton, and then maybe move into the alternate reality thing, and then in the third one introduce the ultra-humanite, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you have solid villains to wrap stories around. I'm just worried about the name recognition of the characters. Right. Now... DC uh, has apparently made a deal with Cartoon Network to produce a bunch of DC-related animated series uh, in the next coming years. And I think they really did that as a reaction to the fact that Marvel is f- it fucking owns Disney XD right now right. in terms of... Uh, in terms of non-Disney programming, because, you know, they still have Phineas and Ferb, which is an amazing cartoon, and I think everybody should watch it, because it's hilarious. The number of pop culture references that pop up on that show, especially, like, Star Wars references, it just boggles my mind. Um, but, like, Sunday nights, it's nothing but old Marvel animated series like Spider-Man and his amazing friends and all the series from the nineties. And now, you know, they have that Avengers earth mightiest heroes, which I don't know if you've ever watched Scott. It's a gr- I think you would love it. I, I've been, I keep meaning to, I watched the first several of the micro movies that were setting up the characters mm-hmm. and really enjoyed them. And I, you know, I, I only stopped watching. I, I, I literally just don't have time for yeah. for TV lately. Is really the thing. But believe me, I've been meaning to, and, uh, and I have been collecting the episodes. Um, you know, with the intention of sitting and just you know catching up all at once. I just need to make the time more than anything. Keep but in it, mind, it looks well, solid. Keep in mind when you see Nick Fury. That's Julio Mendez from uh, the Flash. Oh, really? Alex Desaria, oh, he's doing awesome. the voice of Nick Fury. Okay. Now I really want to watch it because I love that guy. He he's great. He I liked him on uh, on Becker. He was one of the few good things on that on that. It, show. You know what's really funny about Becker is every time I watch it, I sit there and I look at the spinner rack and recognize the comics on it. Right. Because they had Reign of the Superman comics on there at one point, and my wife called me a freak because <laughs> I, I noticed. I, it. I do the same thing. Yeah. I, I guess it's a thing that most comic fans do, but since, you know, for the longest time, I was the only comic fan that I really knew that was as geeky about it as I was. But I'm sure you did that. Like, like when you watched the Monster Squad, you recognized that it was a Perez Wonder Woman comic. Oh, yeah. That fat kid was holding at the very beginning. And I got so pissed when they ripped that comic. I'm like, dude, just kick his ass. Just kick his ass in front of God and everybody, and he will never bother you again. <laughs> I swear to God. But, um, 
No, uh, no. But if it, but but I say all that to basically say Marvel is capitalizing and has continued to capitalize on its resources. You know, they have put out. I would say seventy-five percent of the Marvel movies that have come out are good. Right. I'd say fifty percent of them are fantastic, and 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 we got a summer where all three were great. Just, you know, some some had problems, but you know it, it's hard to pick which one was the best of the films. Because Cap was great, X Men First Class surprised the fuck out of everybody. I think mm-hmm. no one expected that movie to be good, and then it comes out and it's like holy crap. And Thor was pretty excellent. Has a great score. I was listening to Thor Kills the Destroyer track the other day, which is probably my favorite track from that entire score. Um, But DC has yet to get on the fucking ball with this shit. And they have, and they own, you know, Warner Brothers owns Cartoon Network. So you would think. That they, you know, they've announced that they're going to do that, but you would think they would be jumping on this. I mean, they got a Green Lantern computer-generated series coming out, and I honestly don't know how to feel about it. I'm going to actually have to watch it because for right now, I really don't care for the animation style they've gone through, gone for. It's really blocky. Right. Um, it looks like a little kid's cartoon that you would see on like Nicktoons or uh, the Hub which is Hasbro's channel right now. Mm-hmm. But I I think that it would be worth their while to produce animated either like specials or movies specifically for Cartoon Network. And I think All-Star Squadron would fit perfectly into that. Because then you can showcase dc's golden age characters against the backdrop of world war ii with a bunch of really cool and awesome superheroes and i think it would work i mean the the jsa episode of brave and the bold was great and the villain on that was pear degaton right and they made pear degaton work and the ending wasn't that everyone fucking forgets it thank god and Clancy Brown was Peridegatan, so that was kind of cool too. So these characters have visibility. I just do. Do you have a theory on why they're not capitalizing on it, or is it just you think there's just ineptitude all around? I don't. You know, I honestly don't. I really, I really don't know what is up with with DC these days, and and why they're you know why they're not doing more with their properties. I mean, Marvel, as you say, and I completely agree, Marvel's knocking it out of the park. Marvel's really pimping their wares, you know, with this. And a lot of that, you know, honestly, a lot of that comes down to, you know, the fact that Marvel is now owned by Disney and Disney did not spend all that money to sit on that property. They, they spent all that money to make more money. And, you know, if there's one thing Disney does very, very, very well is promote itself and its properties, you know, so they're, they're doing what they need to do with that. And that's great. And I applaud them for it. And so, Maybe by comparison, it looks like DC's kind of dropping the ball, but I, I can't help but feel that way that DC is dropping the ball because I still believe, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, maybe this is just me as, a, as an old school comics guy, 
but I still look at DC and go, well, they've still got the more recognizable characters. I mean, they've got Superman, for God's sakes, you know, but I mean, they've also got Batman, they've got Wonder Woman, you know, that sort of thing. So you would you would think that, you know, those characters would be out there in the in the public eye and the public perception. But it seems like more and more lately, they're just not. And I think a lot of that has to do with it seems increasingly to me that DC, they almost seem like they're ashamed of Superman or something like they think he's an old fuddy duddy that they're trying to distance themselves from. And and I think that's evidenced by some of the things that creators themselves have come out and said in the last few years about, you know, well, Superman's had his time in the sun, you know, isn't it time for somebody like Green Lantern? And it's like, no, God damn it. You know, this is Superman we're talking about here, yeah. you know? So I don't, I really don't know what it is, but, uh, because you know, I think, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm trying to remember the exact quote because I, I read this as part of a panel from, I think, last year, San Diego. And somebody, you know, asked Jeff Johns kind of like, you know, what's the deal? You know, why aren't you, you know, why aren't you guys putting out movies? And he was basically like, well, we like quality over quantity. And I saw Green Lantern. <laughs> I enjoyed Green Lantern. But all three of the Marvel films were much more quality movies. Exactly. Yep. Than than Green Lantern was, and what that says to me is either he doesn't know, or Warner Brothers just doesn't give a shit. And what baffles me about that is one, <laughs> WB, heads up, Harry Potter isn't your cash cow anymore. Right. That's over with. Which is probably why you're going to be pushing, hopefully pushing Superman and Batman next next year, so that maybe you could get that next tentpole thing. But I don't understand how executives at Warner Brothers look at the returns for movies like Iron Man and Cap and the Spider-Man films and all of those movies... Even the bad ones. I don't know how they look at those returns and go, we need to get this shit going. Because they're making money off of it. We've got to make money off of it, too. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's there, there's probably really complicated legal licensing things going on. Because even though they own DC Comics, they still have to license the characters through the licensing company and all that. And... I found out recently that that you know DC used to license its own characters and now it doesn't do that anymore. Warner Brothers has a division that handles that now. So maybe we'll be seeing some more and maybe it was Disney uh, D- Disney <laughs> maybe it was B- DC being kind of stingy and not wanting to to oversaturate the market but I'm sorry I walked to the I walked through the fucking toothpaste style and I, and I still see I see the same Spider-Man electric toothbrush that I've been seeing for years. Because apparently it sells that well that they keep making it. Either that or they just made too many and they're still selling it. But I saw a cap one. Right. And I'm like, where is my Superman electric toothbrush? Right. Why do you only put that shit out when the movie is out? You know... When we were kids, and you're you know a year or two older than me, but still, when we were kids, Jesus Christ, Superman was everywhere. 
I don't remember a time growing up when I couldn't walk into a store and buy a new Superman Mego because I went through Superman Migos <laughs> like other kids go through underpants. I swear to God. Because, you know, I played with the damn thing till it wore out. And so I just, you know, my parents would just buy me another one. And I, you know, there are but, now years that go by where there's no Superman presence on the toy aisle. How does that happen? You've got somebody that's one of the five most recognizable characters on the planet, and he's not out there in in a in a form where a kid can pick him up and play with a toy or, or you know, I was going to say have a T-shirt, but I do see Superman T-shirts quite a yeah. bit. But I mean, there should be. You know, at least, you know, half again as much Superman stuff is out there as you see of the Marvel characters that are out there because he's Superman, you know? Well, well the, so the I thing think to a certain degree, I think they're doing it to themselves. You know, if they're saying, well, Superman's not relevant and kids don't know Superman, I don't know what they're saying, but if that is the mentality that Superman's just an old fuddy duddy that kids today don't associate with, well, well, yeah, you might be right because you're fucking making it happen, you know, by not putting him out there. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I can't tell you how many boxes of DC Heroes animal crackers that I ate. Right. And I forgot about those. Yeah, you're how right. Many, how many fucking Superman puzzles that were out there, or DC puzzles. Or, Jesus, in 84, when Superman 3 tanked. Didn't you know? It probably made m- more money than I'm giving it credit for. But Superman three was not the critical success that two and one were. No, not at all. So the year a year later, they introduce Superman peanut butter. Mm-hmm. And it was popular for a while. I hate it because it was Superman peanut butter available in smooth and crunchy. Um, but it's like they've got a. <sighs> If you put the character out there in front of kids, kids will recognize it and respond to it. The reason why Spider-Man is more recognizable right now is because they've licensed the shit out of Spider-Man over the past decade and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, beach towels, um, uh, like lunch boxes. Here's something that pissed me off. Last year was DC's 75th anniversary. And uh, I don't know if I tipped you off to this or you tipped me off to it. I forget which one it was. But I walked into Walmart and there was a crap load of DC notebooks, journals, folders with classic, classic artwork. The Adventures of Superman number 424 uh, cover was one of them. And I just, I geeked out right there in the freaking back to school aisle. Because I'm like, oh my god, I love that cover. And now I have a notebook with it on, and a folder, and a little journal thing. This year, I found two. Yep. One was a Superman symbol, and another was a a, a picture of Robin that had Robin. something like, with yeah. Wingman written on it. Which I thought was funny, but that was it. Yep. Meanwhile, across the aisle, Cap... Spider-Man, who doesn't have a movie out, by the way, right now, so you can't use that as an excuse, Um, and Marvel superheroes in general. I drove down the street today, and there was a fucking Wolverine car. Some dude painted his car yellow, 
and had pictures of Wolverine, like Wolverine's tearing out of the hood. And there's the the Wolverine logo across the sides. That's cool. Uh, I just wanted to mention that that really has nothing to do with what we were talking about, but I wanted to tell you about it earlier and I forgot about it. But there was a like, I, I, there was a car that passed me on the way to work. This was a couple weeks ago, and it had um, I don't know what they were. I don't know if they were window clings or what, but they were actually on the car instead of on the windows. But they were Superman. They were the 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 license stuff that uh, mm-hmm. uh, Garcia Lopez has been doing for years was all over this car. It was a little tacky, but you know, you couldn't fault the person their their enthusiasm for it. I really wanted to take pictures, but again, you know, it's like Death Race 2000 on I4, so you know, I didn't want to You know who did some of the licensing for Superman like right around the movie came at the time the movie came out? Uh and I'm not talking like the Jim Lee stuff. John Bogdanov was handling that. For yeah, a while. yeah, and you're you right. Would yeah. recognize it from his comic book work. But it looks like classic, awesome Superman. Yeah. So, um, but no, it's just... I mean, that's a very long-winded answer to your question. Because mm-hmm. I would like to see it, but I don't know if DC would get their asses in gear and do it. Because I, I guarantee you if somebody proposed it, they'd be like, no one knows who those characters are. Right. I think it would work if you went with kind of with the era we're at right now, currently covering where you had at least one big name character like Superman, mm-hmm. you know, if it was like Superman and the all-star squadron, then I think they could sell it. They could make it work, but that's, I mean, I'm telling you, you don't know how hard, how badly I hope that the Avengers movie is super mega friggin' awesome. Because I'm really hoping that one of the side effects of that, if it happens that way, is that DC will finally realize, uh, duh, we've had our characters teaming up in our comics for over 70 years, but they've never teamed up on screen. I want to see that, damn it. I want to see a, a big screen, you know, big budget Justice League movie or World's Finest movie or mm-hmm. an All-Star Squadron movie. I really want to see that because these characters are great. But I have a theory of why I've never really been satisfied with a Batman movie. And I, I think it comes from the fact of – I don't know if it's just you know my, my comic geekdom or what. But I think there's something in my brain to where Batman just doesn't work quite right for me in a world that doesn't have Superman in it. I don't know why I feel that way, but I just do. I've come to this realization that's that's ultimately why something like, say, Dark Knight just doesn't work for me. Because it's like, why does nobody question the fact that this freak is dressed up like a bat? Nobody does. You know? And that mm-hmm. doesn't work in a in the movie, you know, and I'm not trying to go off on a tirade about Dark Knight. I'm just using it as, as an example that that's accepted in the comic books because Superman came first, that the public had already accepted this colorful costume of this, you know, of this superhero from another planet type of thing. And so it was accepted that he had, you know, underpants on the outside of his outfit. And, you know, he had a symbol on his chest and he wore a cape. You know, they saw Superman and by the time Batman and others started to follow him, they're like, okay, this is the look of a superhero. In the world of the Dark Knight, you don't have that. So, you know, it seems a little absurd that there's not at least one moment in either of the Nolan films where somebody looks at the guy and goes, what the hell are you dressed as? You know, (laughs) I'm serious. I I, I know that sounds funny, but I really do feel that way. I feel like that should have happened at least once in one of those movies where somebody looked at him and was like, what the fuck are you supposed to be? You know? 
Well, I I understand that Nolan wants to keep, you know, his Batman, his take on Batman separate from a larger superhero universe. Right. But since it, it's it's been revealed that this is his last movie, I'm kind of hoping that this new Superman film that's coming up, even though it's produced by Nolan, I'm kind of hoping that in a year or two or three after that, when they get around to kind of rebooting Batman again, that they start doing what Marvel did back in 2008 and start having a planned series of solo yes. films to get to Justice League. That build to, yeah, build to something like a Justice League. or Yeah, and, I would and, love that. And the fact that Warner Brothers, and, and, and I think Je- this is Jeff Johns again, if I'm attributing this right, it's just like, you know, you know, they're like, well, is is this Green Lantern? Is this going to be associated with the other films? And it was almost they were like, no, why would we do that? And I don't know if they're afraid that they're going to flop compared to the Marvel movies. But seriously, the one main criticism I have of Green Lantern as a film is that for the last since two thousand four. Uh, you've had Hal Jordan in the comics, right? Mm-hmm. And he is portrayed, for good or ill, as a straightforward, sure-of-himself superhero that knows what he needs to do and will kick ass at the drop of a hat. Right. So Jeff Johns has written that character for years. And when he did Superman's Secret Origin, Hal was still of that mindset of that, well, uh, you know, I've got this, now I'm going to use it. And that is not the Green Lantern we saw in the movie. Mm-hmm. We saw a very unsure of himself Green Lantern. And I think that was a horrendous mistake to make. Because what it says to me is that you're not confident in your own character. To right. have him be... You know, Tony Stark was flawed, but Tony Stark was arrogant as fuck. Right. You know, <laughs> Thor, that was the entire point of the film was how right. arrogant Thor was. That he needed to be taken down a peg, yeah. So, why don't you do that? Well, you know, he can't be related. And, and my personal theory is that Ryan Reynolds could not play a straightforward action hero. But they wanted a big name to be associated with their thing, which is another reason why I think that movie didn't do as well as they wanted to, is they went for the big name over getting the right person in that role. Right. And then fine-tuning the movie to those needs. Right. I think, given the popularity of Justice League New Frontier, which is my favorite of the DC animated films, I know you don't care for it as much as I do, uh, if I'm thinking that you're the person that does it. Yeah, I I don't really care for it at all, to be honest with you. But that movie was set in the past uh, against... The Cold War, you know, it was it was the late fifties, early sixties, and while you had Superman and Batman in it, and Wonder Woman, which is the characters they used for their advertising, really that was a Green Lantern story. So I think, as long as you had Superman and Batman and the Young Robin and Wonder Woman in the All Star Squadron movie you could still focus on Liberty Bell and Johnny Quick and Robot Man and Commander Steel and have the film be more about them, but every once in a while you get to see Superman punch a robot. Right. 
Yeah, so, exactly, exactly. And I would be just as happy with that as I would be with a Golden Age Superman animated film. I think DC has a wonderful opportunity to put out through either their their DC Direct animated line, which I know they're focusing on the Justice League, Superman, and Batman, because those are the ones that sell. Right. I realize that. I accept that, and we've gotten some pretty decent movies out of that. You know, they made a Green Lantern film that did not do as well, First Flight, which is a flawed film. Wonder mm-hmm. Woman wasn't. That Wonder was Woman one. was badass. I have no idea why that why they say that film didn't do well. It nailed that character. Yeah. So I think I think the, my theory with that one though is that it wasn't as viewed as the other ones only because I think that there's still that stigma on, with Wonder Woman that you know well she's a character for a girl and I'm a fanboy and I don't feel comfortable watching or, or reading Wonder Woman and it's like yeah come on you know you got to get over that because that is a great movie. You know, so it seems to me that through Cartoon Network, DC could be like, okay, we're doing an hour-long All-Star Squadron special. You know, just to throw it out there. I would love that. I I don't understand why. You know, they. It it seems like in in the past few years, there's been a complete eighty from the days, you know, the glory days of when things like Justice League Unlimited were on the air, and every new episode that came out lit up the internet with, oh my god, did you see so-and-so in the Mm -hmm. background? You know, look at this character that popped up. Going from that to, you know, this attitude you were saying of, you know, them saying literally, oh, why would we do that? What do you mean, why would you do that? Because it's awesome, and it's what everybody wants. I mean... DC and Marvel were going pretty good head-to-head in the 90s as far as animated series. Because you had Batman and then eventually you had Superman. But you also had Spider-Man and the X-Men, which were very popular. Mm -hmm. But I I would say that DC owned animation in the aughts. Oh, yeah. With Justice League. I mean, just and, and the Batman, which is a much better cartoon than I gave it credit for. You know, they were the ones kicking this stuff out while Marvel was kind of doing its thing with the movies. And now Marvel's coming out with some really good animated series from Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which I mentioned before, to the Superhero Squad, which I hear from a lot of comic fans that I thought would turn their nose up at it. They watch it with their kid, their little kids and absolutely love it. Because it's kind of fun, right? You know, but it, but it, but it gets those fucking characters into a four-year-old's mind, right? You know, four-year-old doesn't care the origin of the Hulk. The four-year-old just likes to see the Hulk doing silly stuff on the screen. But at some point, that's not going to be enough for them. So you give them Earth's Mightiest Heroes, where the Hulk is more of a badass, right? And they can latch on to that. They're, and they had Brave and the Bold, which we have argued about endlessly, but. The fact that they didn't put that series out there as much as they could into the hands and the, the or I guess the eyes of a young kid to get them like, hey, here's Batman. You like Batman, don't you? And and now they're doing Green Lantern, which which looks like it's geared towards a younger audience. It may not be. I could be wrong. Oh, there's going to be a GL uh, cartoon. Yeah, like I was saying before, I don't like the model sheets, but it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a Green Lantern cartoon. But it's like they had Young Justice. Young Justice was actually a really good cartoon. 
I liked it. I didn't like how they did Superboy, but is everyone that still, else was cool. Is that still ongoing? Yeah, they're they're about to. They're, they're hopefully they'll be putting out some more episodes soon. But again, that first that preview episode that came out on Black Friday last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, most of the adventure was Robin, the new Aqualad, and Kid Flash getting Superboy out of Cadmus, which was awesome because the Guardian featured so heavily into that story, as did Double X, which made my superhero fanboy senses tingle. Um. But at the end, the Justice League shows up. Right. And there's two different Green Lanterns. And there's the Flash. And there's Superman. There's fucking Zatara. Zatara! Right. Of all the characters to choose. I was hoping that meant that Zatanna would show up at some point. Uh, Probably in a Paul Dini written episode. I've seen the first several episodes of that show, and I was very impressed. I thought it was a very good show. I, I was really digging it. So, but... Why the hell aren't you capitalizing? Why do you keep saying, well, we're not going to be showing new episodes anytime soon? It's like, what? Are you kidding me? Seriously? This is what you're doing. You promote a product and then tell us we can't have it? That's fucked up. (laughs) It is. That'd be like McDonald's introducing this great new burger and saying, okay, you like that? Well, we're not going to have it anymore. Come eat our Big Mac instead. But but I want that one. No, you can't have it. <laughs> it's it's Cartman not letting us into Cartman land. That's what that is. <laughs> so much to do at Cartman land and you can't come. <laughs> well, I think that was a nice little tangent. Yeah, I'm sorry I would, that I ranted so much. No, no, I think that's. I think it was good. I think it was a good tangent. I I know what I want to see. I don't. I don't know that I have faith in current DC management to to give me what I want. But it would be nice, you know. Well, considering DC management right now is focusing on this relaunch, which I'm not making fun of because I will be reading a number of the titles. But it seems like they're falling back on that old standard of, well, we're relaunching our titles, so we don't want that old stodgy JSA around. Right. They did it in Crisis. They did it at Zero Hour. The only reason they didn't do it at Infinite Crisis is Jeff Gions was writing the title. Right. So kind of made sense that they would want to keep that around because Jeff had that epic Gog storyline that dragged on too long. Yeah, that's where I bailed on that book, actually. <sighs> Damn it. Because I'll be, I'll be very honest, I didn't give a rat's ass about Gog or Magog. or <laughs> I just was like, what is this? So yeah, that's where I... Yeah. I, I love that title up to that point, and then that's when it just kind of lost me. Because I, I, increasingly, I kept buying the issues and going, "I don't even remember what's going on. I don't care. I don't like this character. Can we please just get past this?" So yeah. And then they gave him his own series. Yeah. So, but so we probably won't see it. But you can hear about it every week right here at Tales of the JSA. Mm-hmm. Ding. <laughs> Well, what else do we got for this one? Well, we got some ads. We got Lock and Chase. <laughs> There's a classic video game. You know, I, I, oh, I'm sorry. I will say this. You know, you know, Marvel had a lot over DC in the 80s. I mean, this is one of the best books DC put out in the early 80s. Marvel had a lot over DC, and, and one of the things they did, they had the better video game ads overall, I would say. 
Yeah, I, I think I'll agree with that. Although, this is almost all video game ads in this one, but they do have a great one, and that one's on uh, the back cover for the M Network Tron video games. And I is just that any like good? Well, the, there's two of them advertised here. One was Tron Deadly Disc, which I maintain was a great game because it had uh, graphics and sound that were very good for its time, and it was a lot of fun. It, you know, it was it was a very simple concept. You know, you were Tron, you were in the middle of a of a game arena, and three warriors would would come at you at a time, and every time if you if you managed to defeat all three of the warriors, you would have a little break where you would recharge and stuff like that. And then another wave would come. Well, every wave that came was a different color. And what it denoted was that they were getting increasingly smarter and increasingly more difficult as the game went on. And it was one of the first games that really had semi-intelligent AI to where you could actually tell that the opponent was getting smarter the longer you played the game. Um, But it was also one of those games from an era where there was not really a point to the game other than stay alive, you know, that eventually, you know, they were going to kill you. But it was just it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that game because to my memory, I could be wrong about this, but to my memory, I don't think there was a score kept on that game. I think what it was was that your rank was was denoted by what color you got to. So that you had to remember, all right, you know, who were, who was the guys that I made it to last time? You know, what color were they? And try to get beyond that color. So that was a lot of fun. The other one was uh, Adventures of Tron, which I can't say wasn't a fun game. It was fun, and I played, you know, hours and hours of it. But really, it didn't have shit to do with Tron. It was really some <laughs> other video game that just happened to have, you know, things in it that looked like, you know, a recognizer and something that was supposed to be a bit and something that was supposed to be the Solar Sailor. But it could have been any game. I mean, it could have been called Elevators or something. You know, I mean, it was a very simple concept of just, you know, go up a level, catch this thing, go down a level, you know, jump into this, you know, beam. And, you know, it was it was just a lot of running around grabbing things. But, it, you know, what it had to do with Tron, I have no idea. But I always like this ad just because the ad is really cool. You know, this is this is Tron as I like it, where everything's, you know, flat edges and, you know, old school computer graphics. And it's uh, some uh, tanks on the grid fighting uh recognizers flying down from above. I just I really like the art on this. Let me um let me throw out a philosophical question to you. Mm-hmm. Games of the of the late seventies and video games of the eighties, you, you just said that the you know most of the time the main objective was just to stay alive. Right. And basically your your ultimate goal was not an ending but just to have the high score in Galaga. Right. Or whatever. And then, you know, with in 85 when Super Mario Brothers came out and it actually had, like, an ending to it. And that became, like, the... That, that really sort of put us on the road of the RPG-type video game, like Final Fantasy. Um, do you think that has to do with the political climates of the time? Because really, you know, in the early 80s, it was all about we're all going to die in a massive nuclear holocaust. (laughs) And by the mid-80s, when Gorbachev, you know, and Glasnost started to hit pretty big, you know, it was like, oh, maybe we won't die in a fireball. So maybe, you know, there, there is something to this life that we're about to leave instead of just trying to exist as long as we can until something crushes us. 
Hmm. Or am I thinking too clearly? You've been reading too many Grant too... Morrison books lately, or something. Oh, that's not because I was thinking about <laughs> like like in the aughts, you know, when Grand Theft Auto and, and right and, and and the shoot first person shooter games. I was like, well, that's just a reaction of feeling helpless in the wake of nine eleven. That all you want to do is you know steal a car, kill a hooker, shoot people. That's all I've ever really wanted to do, though. <laughs> Well, no, I, you know, it, it's an interesting, it, it's interesting, you know, when you make those parallels, I never really thought of it like that, but I think that is one of the reasons why something like, say, Grand, Grand Theft Auto 3, you know, was such a big deal to me anyway, was that you got the best of both worlds with that. You had a linear storyline that you could play all the way through that had a definite ending to it, but at the same rate, you know, you also had just, you know, free roam mode where you could just go and do whatever the hell you wanted to. And the main objective was, objective was don't get killed, you know. <laughs> and so you kind of had the best of both worlds. So, but, you know, I, I, I have heard, you know, people say, you know, make similar statements about, you know, tracing the evolution of video games along with, you know, the, the you know, just the way the times were, were turning at the time and stuff like that. So. I don't know. It's it's an interesting it's an interesting theory. I don't know if there's any way to ever you know prove it or yeah. disprove it, but it's definitely an interesting idea that you know as as times changed, you know have how, you, uh, how the video games changed with them. Wonder have you you've played Grand Theft Auto three and four? I have not played four. I've played uh, I played three. I played Vice City and I played uh, San Andreas. I have not played four. Yet. I'm trying to remember if it's three or four. But uh, the Statue of Liberty is in it. That's got to be four. And two things I learned from Cracked.com was, one, the Statue of Liberty in that game is smiling. If you get a helicopter and fly out to it and look at the Statue of Liberty's face, it's got this grin on it, which is really creepy looking. (laughs) But if you actually get onto Liberty Island and get inside the Statue of Liberty, there's a beating heart in there. Hmm. And that's not the that's not to uh to discount the haunted section of one of the Hitman games. So we know it would be ghosts. Oh really? Oh I didn't yes. know that. I'll have to send you a link to that article. I think you'd like it. You know what would be awesome is if you could land on Liberty Island, go inside the Statue of Liberty, and then commandeer it like in Ghostbusters 2 and go like to the island and just whoop <laughs> ass on That would be awesome. Crush cop cars and stuff. That would be great. Or you go in there and the X-Men are stuck to the top of the torch <laughs> and Magneto's outside. <laughs> I've um, got to play that. That's that's. I have not played that one yet because about the time that one was coming out was when I got obsessed with, um, um, oh shit, what's the name of it? Saints Row, Saints okay. Row one and two. Which uh, I never thought I I would find something that was even more intense than than Grand Theft Auto. But Saints Row is Grand Theft Auto on steroids. It's just it's <laughs> it's so over the top awesome. I can't even describe it. We uh, we have that Jedi Master or Jedi Arena game again that yeah. we talked about last time. Um, that game's. I laughed really hard when I was editing that portion of the episode. <laughs> we got the Amethyst ad. 
which is a nice piece of artwork. I still need to read that. That would make an. I wonder if they made a promotional poster of that. I believe so. Have to track that down for my friend uh, Ravenface. That is a pretty cool warlord on that DC subscription page. Yeah, uh, I like that a lot. I, I'm gonna actually, if he doesn't cancel and everything goes well, and I and I and I get to Dragon Con, uh, Mike Grell's coming this year. So. Yeah, you lucky I, bastard! I really want to. I would love to uh, to get to meet him because I'm serious, dude. He is he is one of my top favorite artists. And again, you know, I, I we really need to. I would love to do another uh, edition one of these days of of underrated artists because I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I threw out Mike Grell's name or not. I really can't remember, but it seems to me that I did not, and uh, and I really should have because, uh, you know, I I give George Perez a hell of a lot of credit for my uh, my my personal personal attachment to. You know the original Robin, you know the Dick Grayson version of Robin. But honestly, it goes back further than that. It goes back to uh, I don't know how many times he ever drew. I can only really remember one story, but there was one story um, that Mike Grell drew of Robin. It was like a short little solo story in some Batman. It was like an issue of Detective or something that was just fantastic. That stuck with me for years. This great shot of like Robin running out onto a football field by Mike Grell. And it was just fantastic. And I, that always stuck with me because I always liked his Robin and I, I always liked his Superboy. He's my favorite Superboy artist. I mean, I, I just loved his stuff on Superboy and especially like Superboy and the Legion of superheroes. That's why I'm really looking forward to the comics I'm getting from, uh, from Devin. Cause I got a good number of issues that, you know, we'll, we'll fill in some gaps in that. And I think some of them are um, Grell issues, you know, Grell illustrated issues. I um, I was reading the Batcave Companion by Tomorrow's Press, and they had a whole section on the Robin solo stories. Mm-hmm. And they had some beautiful unpublished Rich Buckler art. Oh, wow. And he drew a fantastic Robin. Yeah, just to tell you. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that 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 looked pretty cool. Well, I think we can move uh, unless you want to talk about the same ads we've been talking about nah. for weeks. Nah, uh, right we over need to, to move along if we're going to get another episode yeah. out tonight. <laughs> Well, we do have Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics at www.dcindexes.com. What catches your eye first? Um, the first thing that catches my eye is this Adventure Comics number 500, because this was uh, one that uh, almost made my list of stuff I was getting from Devin. I, I kind of wish I'd gone ahead and gone for it, but I can't remember what uh, what the price was on it. But I really like this cover. I just wasn't sure what the material was inside. Something told me this is probably all reprints of stuff that I already yep. have, but I really like the cover. It's uh, Keith Legion Giffen. of Substitute Heroes, The Secret yeah. of the Power Mystery Superhero, Return of Lightning Lad. Yeah, see, I think I have all that stuff already. But I really like this cover because it's a nice mix of the Legion that was modern at the time on on this video screen being observed by old school Legionnaires. So it's like them looking at future versions of themselves. That's actually pretty neat. I like that. That is a beautiful Howard Chaikin cover on Blackhawk of them. Yeah. Parish- oh, man. You know, we, I've been talking about these. I If I see these in a 50-cent box, I think I'll just pick them up for the covers. Dude, I see these all the time. All the time. Yeah, just to have the covers, because Chaykin drew a great Blackhawk. It's too damn bad. I love, okay, you know you know me, I like to hate on the Gil Kane, but that 
DC Comics Presents cover is pretty damn sweet. I like that one. Yeah, it's uh, this is one of the rare times when there's more than one guest star. This one's Superman and Robin the Teen Wonder and the Elongated Man. What a weird uh, combination. I like this one because it looks like Robin's trying to land on Superman's back. I think that one's neat. I just like anytime Superman and any Robin team up. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it, it just... I think it's cool because Superman doesn't normally work with somebody. So, unless you count Jimmy Olsen. I do not count Jimmy Olsen. Although, you know, I, I have been strongly, I, I think I mentioned this to you the other day, and I, I probably shouldn't mention this on the air, but I, I will. But I had been considering very strongly doing something Superman-related podcasting. But I was just reading um, the... Uh, what is the name of that trade? Tales of the Phantom Zone, I think is the name of it. Yep. And uh, I've been reading through that, and there's a story reprinted in there that I actually have the issue of, and it's one of the very few issues I ever owned of um, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. And the reason I kept it all these years is because it was a Phantom Zone story. And it was this cool story where Jimmy's cleaning up in his trophy room, and he finds this empty bottle, and he's like, I wonder what this had in it, and he sniffs it. And then throws it into the trash can. Well, then later that day, he becomes Elastic Lad again because, like, the fumes were just enough to, like, kick in his Elastic Lad powers one last time. Well, he ends up finding this hole in the sky, and because he's Elastic, he can, he can actually go into the hole, and he worms his way into the Phantom Zone. And it's, just, it's a great – I've always loved that story. So it, it was one of those things where I read it, and after I was done reading, I was like, you know, I still love that story. I would love to do a show about that sometime. And I was like, you know, where where would I talk about that? So I haven't read that trade yet, but I picked it up cheap. Yeah, that's, yeah that is one you can get. I think I paid like four or five bucks for it. Yeah, no more than five bucks. Same here. I love this cover on Fury of Firestorm number 13, this Pat Broderick one. I remember this story was so exciting when I was a kid and and reading this era of Firestorm because this was the one where he had been bitten by the hyena and was becoming a were-hyena and suddenly found him – he could not – was it, would it be fusion or fission? Fission. He could not fission back into Ronnie Reagan yeah. and Professor Professor Sunny. He was stuck as Firestorm as a were hyena. It sounds silly, but you know when you're a kid, stuff like that's really you know really die. You get worked up about it. Oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, and I was I was totally sucked in by that story. It was great. The great thing about Fury of Firestorm is everything kind of leading up to the fiftieth issue is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then everything after that is awesome in a completely different way. Completely different, yeah. Yeah. And I strongly suggest if you ever read the John Ostrander, I'm not just talking to you, Scott, I'm talking to everybody. Right. Uh, if you ever read the John Ostrander... You talking to me? Fury. <laughs> yes, I am. You talking to me? Uh, there ain't nobody else here. I Who else am I going to talk to? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um... If you ever read John Ostrander's run on Firestorm, read chronologically Suicide Squad and Manhunter as well. Mm-hmm. Because they all connect. Right. They don't connect that you have to read them like that, because they work well on their own, but characters start popping up in other books. Right. And it's like, there's a new brainwave in Suicide Squad that's an old foil of Ronnie Raymond's. 
and it's great. It like really, really freaking works. That's one of the reasons I really want to get back to uh, to Suicide Squad because mm-hmm. you know I've I've got I lack one issue of that. I lack the very last number sixty six, the only issue I don't have. And when I got to that point where I had every one, but the last one, I was like, all right, now I can finally sit down and read this damn title that everybody keeps telling me is so awesome. And of course, you know, then we ended up moving and I got behind and I haven't kept up. But that's one of the reasons I want to get back into it is because I know how closely it ties to Firestorm later on. And I'm about due for a, for a reread of the latter issues mm-hmm. of, of Fury of Firestorm because I, re- well, I became Firestorm by that point. But I really yes. like that stuff. But it's growing vague in my memory because it's it's been a long time since I've read that now. But I, I really liked you because it goes in some really weird and interesting places. So yeah, I like this cover on uh, on Justice League number uh, yep two fifteen. Although this story was kind of stupid, but the cover's cool. It's uh, George Perez of the Atom playing uh, Gulliver in Lilliput. That's pretty cool. That Batman cover's badass. I especially like the skull of the one skeleton and the and like the main big skeleton who's standing up by the logo. Yeah, it fits right into the bat. I never thing. noticed that. Yeah, you're right. It that totally does. So Ed Hannigan just drew a great Batman in general. So I, I don't. There are very few covers I've seen that I don't absolutely love. So we've got uh, Omega Man number three, first appearance of Lobo. Lobo, yep. Where he was wearing his, uh, I don't know what you would even call that that outfit. It was almost like a clown outfit or something. And what what is this woman's name? Callista? Was that her name? I believe so. Looks yeah, like uh, looks uh, like the Wasp. Yeah, but, uh, she's hot, boy. I like that. Especially when she gets the longer hair later. I don't remember <laughs> that. I never read a whole lot of their so one. It was weird because I loved the Omega Men when they first popped up in like GL and in that one Superman story. Then they got their own title. Never read it. But then again, I where we were living at the time, I don't think I had access to um, what do you call it? A um, comic shop. Well, comic shop. But I mean, what what did they call the um, direct sales? I don't think I had access to direct sales books at that yeah. time. So you know stuff like that. Like Omega Man was some of the earliest direct sales stuff, so mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I wasn't able to read it. And it was one of the few titles that was like that that didn't have a parallel book that was reprinting it for the stands. You know, like like Legion had Tales of the Legion, and then um, Titans had what was it? I think it was Tales of the Tales Titans. of the Teen Titans. Yeah, and then you had the Adventures of the Outsiders. That's right. Oh yeah, Alan yeah. Dav- with the Alan Davis artwork, and I had a, I have a good friend that I was roommates with for a while that complained very loudly one day we're sitting there talking about it. Cause I picked up, cause he had all of like the adventures issues and he sold them to me with a bunch of comics. He's like, those are great. And they'll make you hate Jim Aparo. Hmm. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes for like a year. I followed this book cause, uh, I would get it through the, like the newsstand and Alan Davis did the artwork in the year between Outsiders number one, the Prestige series, and then number 13 of Adventures of the Outsiders when they started reprinting it. And he's like, and it was really hard going back from Alan Davis to Jim Aparo when it changed over. Hmm. And uh, I disagree with him now, but I see his point. 
So well, they're very different artists, but I, I oh, love God, them. Yes. Yeah, I love them both for very different reasons. But yeah, I, I, I like me some Alan Davis a lot. You know, uh, I, I think we can put this thing of me being a Gil Kane apologist to rest permanently because I'm looking. There's a, he did a lot of covers this month. Only really one of which I, I really like all that much was that DC Comics presents these other ones. Yeah, the not, Superman one isn't all that good. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm not I'm not so crazy about these other ones. The it's a uh, nice Aparo hmm? one though on Brave and the Bold 199. Yeah, this is an issue I lack, but I love this cover. You've got a uh, Batman. Um, what's this dude's name? Jason Jim Blood? Corrigan. Jim. Oh, okay, Jim Corrigan, and I don't know who the woman is. And you got the specter looming over him, going, "Rah!" <laughs> I love that. It's great. <laughs> booga booga booga. What else we got? Doom Patrol and Supergirl. Hey, is this a Gil? All right, I take it back. This Gil Kane cover on Green Lantern is actually pretty cool. I did yeah. not realize that that was Gil Kane, but it yeah, is, it's a nice Green Lantern Green Arrow cover. Yeah. That is my, you know, I love the Mike Grell costume from the Longbow Hunters. Mm-hmm. This is still the one on this cover. the The more classic Neil Adams design yeah. one is still my favorite. Yeah, mainly because I had the superpowers figure. Yeah, I was just going to say something similar. I had the uh, I had the Mego figure that was in that outfit. So yeah, I, I feel the same way for for mostly for sentimental reasons because of that <laughs> figure. That's odd. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Which cover did you start to point out before? Uh, the Doom Patrol or, or in the Supergirl uh, issue of this. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. I, like I, I have that. most of those and I have not read them yet. They're not very good, honestly. Well, at least that, that, I'm going by memory on that, but I remember the, they just didn't seem like they were very good. But uh, I always like the look of this villain here that they're fighting uh, Reactron. He's just got a weird yep. design to him. But uh, what was the one I was looking Oh, yeah, the Eye Vampire cover is pretty cool. And I always like this cover for uh, Legion of Superheroes. Is this the one that's the jam cover? I don't know if it is. I have this issue. It's a really great cover, though. Uh, I love, uh, who's that, Prody taking their picture? And then Supergirl and Superboy flying from the sides. I I think I might be thinking of a... No, this is the cover. This is the one where I think... Every or most every character on that cover is actually drawn by a different artist because, like, Superboy is Kurt Schaffenberger and Supergirl is Gil Kane. I guess that would be why there is no cover credit at Mike's Amazing World right. Comics. Right. I'm trying to think of who some of the other artists were that were involved in that, and I'm kind of drawing a blank here, but I, I blew up the image. And, uh, well, Colossal Boy is George Perez. Um,. But yeah, we we can move on. But yeah, it, it is it is a total jam cover where every character on there is. Uh, That's a is great issue books. too. I don't remember that one very. I, I'll have to go back and read it again. I don't I don't remember it either. But I remember when I read it when I was like twelve or thirteen. I really enjoyed it. So the uh, we talked about Action Five Forty Four last time, but uh, here's that awesome awesome cover uh, by. Uh, Gil Kane of the uh, of the new Brainiac and the new Luther, and I love the power armor. <sighs> I love that Brainiac. That's a Kane. Co- I guess it is a Kane cover. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah, I like that one a lot. It's really funny though because when you when you see the two Lex Luthor costumes, it's like the old seventies era costume. It's still pretty cool, but the power armor is still more awesome. Yep. There is no contest between. 
old Brainiac and new Brainiac. There really isn't. Short pants do not become him. You know what's really funny? I'm looking at this cover to uh, Arion, Lord of Atlantis, number eight. And if somebody had told me as a kid that one day Jander Sema would draw Star Wars, I'd have just broke down crying because I do not like this art style. Yet the art that I think, is that a he or a she? I can't remember. Jander Sema is a guy, isn't it? Or is I believe it so. I, okay. Anyway, he or she is doing today or, or, or fairly recently with uh, with Star mm-hmm. Wars stuff at Dark Horse is just awesome. It's uh, it really yeah. doesn't look like this stuff at all. Not that this is bad. I just I'm not. I've never been a fan of the sword and sorcery type of stuff or the you know the mystical yeah, neither stuff. Me. Neither have I. It's why that John Carter of Mars movie that's coming out. Just I have no interest. <laughs> Great detective. Chubber day, yeah. So, just a really nice one. That uh, that iron, that Green Arrow um, cover is pretty cool too. It's a nice Count Vertigo inspired cover. I like the Superboy cover a lot too. Yeah, that one is cool. Who is that? He's fighting. I don't recognize that guy. It's like Magneto. Dynamind. Dynamind. <laughs> okay. Uh, not much. I'm not much for this cover on uh, on World's Finest either. It's kind of kind of weird looking. And uh, poor Jonah Hex. The Jonah Hex one's funny only because it's a complete turnabout from that issue where he kicks the old crippled woman off the cliff. Yeah. Here it's it's Jonah's <laughs> been crippled and he's in a wheelchair being sent off a cliff while a bunch of cowboys in the background are going, "Yeah, see you later, you some bitch." I love that. I think that's great. How were the El Diablo backup stories? If I remember properly, this was at a time when it was... uh, Who was doing the El Diablos on those? This one here says it was Dick Ayers, so the art's probably pretty good. But it seems to me that a lot of the, the, the backups later on with John... Like, I don't know if it's necessarily El Diablo, but a lot of the backups were... You know, by artists that I never cared for, like, uh, oh, who was that guy we were talking about? Spiegel, like Dan Spiegel and stuff <sighs> like that. I could be wrong, but some of them were good, and then some of them were like, eh. Like, say, for for example, I never liked Batlash. So I, I, I seldom would even read the Batlash ones because I never liked the art in those or whatever. But they had one for a while. It was, uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It was like something like Te- Tejano or something like that. It was an Indian character. That was pretty good. Um, the El, Di- El Diablo ones were hit and miss, but the best El Diablo ones were the ones early on, way back in Weird, Weird Western Tales, where they were illustrated by uh, Neil Adams. Because even if the stories weren't all that good, the art was just like to die for. I mean, it was awesome, awesome artwork. Um, but El Diablo, was, he, he's an interesting character that, you know, I, I can't really recall any particular story that you know, stands out in my memory as like a great El Diablo story, but he was just an interesting character because he, you know, of his whole origin and, you know, his whole deal and everything. But still to this day, to my mind, the only other, you know, worthwhile character that ever really came out of, you know, the same titles as Jonah Hex was, uh, was Scalp Hunter. I think Scalp Hunter had the potential to be, you know, just as big a deal as, as Jonah Hex in his own way. Um, I'm just not sure why, why that, you know, why he didn't, 
I don't I don't know if Weird Western ended up ending because of low sales or or you know they were downsizing the the titles at the time or what, but it's a good story. I mean, you can get the whole thing on the cheap. You know, it it, it was good stuff. I enjoyed it a lot. I don't know if that answers your question or not. <laughs> I'm mostly familiar with those characters from the Trail of Time novel. Right. So, and they were all awesome in it. So that's yeah, that's my perception of them. Well, see, you put them all together. That's what's cool about those guys is that you know Jonah Hex, you know, on his own is is awesome because you know that's his whole shtick is being on his own. The other characters, you know, they they all have an interesting thing or whatever. But you know, like I say, there's not really stories that seem especially memorable or what. But then it's when you put them all together. I think that's when it's really cool because it's almost like an old west version of the Justice League or something because you get you know, you've got all the big stars of the old west all together for one adventure so you know you get Jonah and El Diablo and Batlash and Scalp Hunter and all these guys all together and it that's pretty cool I like that I wish there were more stories like that Well sir I think that's another issue or episode in the can Awesome if you got anything else to add no, that's pretty much it for me. I'm uh, I'm ready to move on with this story because we got some good stuff coming down the pike. We completely forgot at the beginning of the episode to talk about the fact that this issue has never been reprinted, so we cannot, <laughs> so we didn't have to end the episode with that. You're right. We still need to come up with some some different different way to send the show out, so we're not going out on that that down note. But you're right. We'll we'll come up with something. All right. <laughs> Is that how we're ending? That's yeah. a weak way to end. <laughs> it just kind of happened. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbaileytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos. We love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to Tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember.